Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball Today. It is Tuesday, August 3rd. I'm Chris Towers. I'm here with Scott White. Frank Stample still on vacation for the rest of the week. And we've got a much less busy show for you today than we had yesterday. Not quite as much happened on Monday as did, as did over the weekend, and that's fine, because that's going to allow us to get into some Dynasty updates. Scott's going to have a piece up on cbssports.com fantasy, probably, hopefully by the time you read this. Right, Scott? Talking about some Dynasty risers, Dynasty fallers, and just updating the Dynasty landscape and Dynasty rankings uh, mm-hmm. with the... You know, really the three quarters mark of the season pretty much here. I guess the two thirds mark. Two thirds. That classic yeah, not two thirds three mark. Three quarters yet. Give that it a classic. couple more weeks. We'll be at three quarters. I mean, it's, you know, one twelfth away. Yeah. Right? I think that's right. I think the math works out on that. Need Don't the double check. Denominator. Find the common yeah, denominator. Yeah, that's the 12. One out of 12. Okay. I think it's just one twelfth, right. which is half of one sixth. <laughs> I'm not good at thinking of words and thinking of numbers at the same time. That's fair. It's a good yeah. thing you don't have to deal with any of those things at the same time <laughs> in your uh, chosen profession. <laughs> also on today's podcast, in, in addition to Dynasty updates, we've got some bullpen updates with all the uh, changing roles coming out of the trade deadline. We're going to talk about some of Monday's biggest performances. Your listener emails at fantasy baseball today. Sorry, fantasy baseball at CBSI. Dot com is where the emails go if you want to send them. Again, that's fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. But we'll start with some of the big news today and starts with two high-profile players, arguably the two best players at both starting pitcher and relief pitcher, or the best player at starting pitcher and relief pitcher. Uh, going on the COVID IL, Garrett Cole will not start Tuesday for the New York Yankees after testing positive for COVID. And Josh Hader was placed on the COVID-19 IL on Monday as well after another positive test. So uh, Brewers have had something going around in their their uh, their clubhouse, it seems. Christian Yelich hoping to come back from the COVID IL on Thursday. The Yankees also have had some guys uh, on the IL. So this is, you know, it kind of is what it is. This is still an issue. It's still, um, you know, going around the country with the Delta variant. It's, you know, Hopefully not going to decide your fantasy season, but this is definitely something to keep in mind over the next couple of weeks. You know, Christian Yelich went on the COVID IL last Tuesday, and he's eligible to come back, I believe, on Thursday for the first day. So, you know, if Garrett Cole and Josh Hader follow the same uh, you know timetable, you know, and that's dependent on a number of factors, you know, we may not see them until the middle of next week. So I was tr- 
I, I was trying to see if there were updated policies in the MLB for, <clears throat> you know, testing positive, but you're vaccinated yeah. and you don't have symptoms. Because I think, I believe in the NFL, you, yeah. you, you actually pointed this out to me on Twitter. In the NFL, if you're vaccinated, if you test positive, but you're vaccinated and you don't have symptoms, you can come back in 24 hours, right? But it's still if you have a negative a test. Oh, you still have to get yeah, you still yeah. have to get the negative test. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. So 10 days, two turns, presumably yeah. is what Cole's gonna miss. You know, we were talking about Max Scherzer and whether he's the number one starting pitcher in fantasy. Garrett Cole missing 10 days might be enough to tip into Max Scherzer's favor, given how little of the season is left. Um, only one third. Yeah, this is <laughs> three, three, four twelfths. Um, you know, there's not really much you can do here if you already started them this week. That's that's unfortunate. Hopefully, your league will you know maybe allow you to make some changes. I know some of my fantasy football leagues allowed that. I don't know. We did it in basketball too. I don't know if any of my ba- baseball leagues have had any policies like that. But you know, not much to take away from it other than Josh Hader and Garrett Cole. Uh, likely will not be helping you at least the rest of this week as a result of their positive tests. Hopefully, you know, everything's okay coming out of that. Um, let's move on to uh, Monday's Oh My Goodness Gracious Players of the Day. Scott, can you hit me with your best Susan Waldman impression again? Oh my goodness gracious. I like it. Thank you. You like it? Does it work? Yeah, yeah, it I works. Don't know. Um, okay. So who's your pick? My pick is actually somebody who didn't play on Monday and hasn't played oh, for a very long time. Interesting. But it's, it's, def, it's definitely the item that made me say, oh, my goodness gracious. And, and that is Adalberto Mondesi. Yeah. And uh, what general manager um, Dayton Moore of the Royals revealed about Mondesi as, as per their 2022 plans for him. They're not even talking about, you know, rest of this year. Just mm-hmm. what are they planning to do with Mondesi next year? And it sounds like they're not counting on him to be an everyday player. It sounds like they've come to the determination that they need to manage his workload. And 100 games was a number Dylan Moore identified as a potential target for, for Adalberto Mondesi, which, you know, is less than it's less than two thirds of the season. Well, quick math there while I was thinking of words. Yeah, it's about one twelfth um, less than two thirds of the season. <laughs> uh, so that stinks. Um, yeah, stock and, and way the, down. The maybe, thing, maybe he should be in my dynasty. I, I think he probably should be. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> thing about Adalberto Mondesi that you know, one of the things I, I talked about certainly a lot this off season was just how you know buying into injured players can be one way to gain. Uh, to gain value in fantasy. And one of the reasons for that is just that, you know, everything that we talk about is so based in concrete facts and data and numbers and injury analysis often isn't. And, you know, anybody who's been following Mondesi's major league career knows he's missed quite a bit of time. He's only had one season with more than a hundred games played in the majors. Um, But he's had injury issues, basically his entire career at every point. Um, you know, you go through and he's played more than 100 games in a season, including the majors and the minors, I believe only three times. So four times, excuse me. Um, and he's been a professional since 2012. So there does seem to be something there with him. I, I wonder if he, he means just for next year 
And if, you know, he proves he can handle this 100 games with more rest built in, if, if, if they can then broaden the playing time from there for Mondesi. But I don't even know how many more years they, they're controlling Mondesi. I know he's a few years into his career at this point. Uh, he's a free agent after the 2023 season. Okay, so a couple more years. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the, so the, I, the way I took it was, um, you know, he's, they're going to build in extra rest for him next season, and they'll probably have to make sure they have another, uh, you know, middle infielder or, you know, whatever position they try him at or they, they decide right. to play him at. They'll have well, to have I mean, another if, one. Bobby Witt, presumably. Um, but I would but, guess they're going to bring in another. But presumably Mondes is only playing three or four games a week. Yeah, I mean, I, I would think at first. It, it seems like the kind of thing where if Mondes is healthy and playing the way they know he can, it, it's hard to see them actually keeping a, a 26-year-old out of the lineup that often. Um, so I, I think it's more like you have to prove we can trust you at this point. And that's the way I took okay. it at least. Well, um, obviously I'm not dating more. Yeah, I mean, just the fact that he was putting definite numbers. I, I mean, yeah. Let me see the exact quote. Yeah, we're learning uh, that we're going to have to manage his workloads in ways that he may not be a guy that plays more than a hundred games. We can't count on him as an everyday player. I mean, I guess there's some gray area in there, but I don't know. You um, usually don't hear so that. the Twins aren't saying that about, that about Byron Buxton. I think even in a roto league, like round fifteen, there may be something for Mondesi. Not not that high. Not that high for me. Yeah, it's uh, it's fair. It's going to be hard to to overlook the kind of upside he could have even in a hundred games. I mean, the 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 nice thing is, I guess we have an example of what that would look like. He stole forty three bases and hit nine home runs in in twenty nineteen uh, in one hundred and two games last season. He did only miss one game. It's worth pointing that out. Um, but yeah, I, I think as you're looking long term, Alberto Mondesi. This season, we still have questions about how good he can actually be as a hitter. Um, and we have questions about whether he can stay in the lineup. So clearly the Royals share those concerns. And that's not great uh, for my, oh my goodness gracious player. I'm going to go with Ty France. Went three for five with a home run, three RBI. Scott, I know you were a big fan of Ty France coming into the season. And, you know, I don't know if he's necessarily lived up to your expectations but i will say you know he's been i think better one than his overall numbers indicate because he's basically hit 290 in every month except for may he had like a 190 average in may he dealt with some injuries there Uh, Mm -hmm. other than that he's been that high average guy with a little bit of pop that that i know you were hoping he would be what do you what do you think about ty france right now yeah, I mean, he hasn't lived up to my wildest expectations for him, but it would be hard to say he's a disappointment. Mm-hmm. You're, you pointed it out already, but just to put precise numbers on it. So basically, he hurt, I believe it was his wrist or forearm, something in that area at, at the end of April mm-hmm. and played through it for about two weeks. His batting average plummeted from 325 to 229. Went on the IL finally since coming back. And we're talking what? We're talking... 60 games now with tonight's yeah uh tonight's numbers aren't included in this line but six coming back for that long stretch of time 298 with an 814 ops seven home runs in 225 at bats so not 
not much power, but not zero power either. But he does. This does further the idea that he's just a really stable source of batting average, and you know maybe maybe not all that different from like Brian Jeff Reynolds. McNeil. Okay, I was gonna say yeah, that's a good one too. Um, so you know that I'm to the point now with Jeff McNeil where I don't think of him as really like a must-start player in fantasy either. But sure, you know just kind of not a bad option if 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 uh if you if you if you don't have a great one all right let's uh let's move on to some of the injuries news and notes from monday's game we'll get an email of the day after that but first uh joe dell was recalled from triple a salt lake it's actually kind of funny i tweeted yesterday uh, after i believe he had three home run three straight games with a home run has an ops well over a thousand since the start of july and i I called the Angels out and said that it was clear service time manipulation that he wasn't in the majors. <laughs> and so, of course, they called him up the next day. They got scared. You're welcome, Joe Adele. Uh, please send me a portion of the Major League paycheck. Um, he's having an excellent season at AAA, Salt Lake. He was hitting better than Brandon Marsh. I know there have been concerns about the strikeout rate. Uh, but mm. 289, 342, 592 is the triple slash line. 23 homers, 8 stolen bases. Yes, he has struck out 29% of the time, uh, which is a concern, especially given how poorly he played last season and how overmatched he seemed. But over 40% strikeout rate during yeah. those. He was up for most of the most of the two months. Yeah, he's like 150 days of service time because they extrapolated yeah. it out. Um, but this is a guy who's been a top 20 prospect in baseball for basically three straight years, even after he struggled last season, it didn't really impact his standing uh, in the prospect list where he was still eligible. He did exhaust his rookie eligibility, but some prospect lists still considered him. Um, He has only played 297 games in the minors. So that's basically two full seasons worth of games. He's dealt with some injuries, obviously last season uh, with COVID. Uh, But if you just cut his numbers in half, and give him 150 game pace. Here's what you're looking at for his minor league numbers. 29 homers, 106 RBI, 118 runs, 19 stolen bases at a really high uh, success rate, 295 average. Strikeouts, again, have been an issue, but mm-hmm. there's a yeah. there's big upside here. You know, we've been we've talked about it for 3 years now. We we were talking about him as someone who could get called up back in 2019. So yeah, uh, is Joe Adele a must add in any five outfielder league? Yeah, I'd say five outfielder. I mean, I, I would, I would say the odds are against sure any particular prospect call up at this point. After what's happened with Kelnick, to a lesser extent, what's happened with Wander Franco. I mean, those guys seem just can't miss as it gets. And of course, the list of ones beneath them, Jaron Duran. Um, you know, I could come up with so many names. They, they've they've all disappointed us to the point that I, I think any particular prospect call up, you have to presume failure, which, you know, was the standard for these guys five to ten years ago anyway. I just think we're kind of back there right now. So pick up Adele, not expecting much, but the upside is huge. Uh, it is I worth think- noting he's one of the rare prospects who didn't lose playing time in 2020. You know, whether that's yeah. a good or bad thing, given how he played, is... A different question, but at least he got the reps. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that 
totally explains what's going on anyway, because it's not like the guys are struggling in the minors themselves. Sure. But they're going against uh, guys who aren't, who didn't play. So, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I think there's something else going on there, but that's anyway. Um, Maybe it's a space jam thing. <laughs> Uh, I, I kind of feel like the Angels were waiting to see some kind of strikeout improvement from Adele. And, you know, last 25 games, he was especially hot. 363, seven home runs, OPS over 1,000. Most significantly, though, might be 24.5 strikeout rate during that stretch, which is much more palatable than 30 yes. against minor leaguers. And he's young and he's inexperienced even for a minor leaguer. And, you know, I think back to like a George Springer who struggled with strikeouts in the minors and then eventually it became kind of a non-issue for him. Chris Bryant, same way. So it's not like he can't continue to improve in that regard. I, I just think uh, I, I just think he was so, so bad last year that like it, it kind of gave him an even bigger hurdle to clear. And Sure. I mean, getting, know, he hasn't cleared it yet, obviously, because yeah. it'll it'll take him doing better in the majors. Yeah, but. getting the getting the confidence back after struggling like that, you know, that's really the first time in Joe Dell's career as a baseball player like where he's struggled like that. So, you know, there's always something to that. Um, additionally, as a result of this, it sounds like Justin Upton could start sitting against right-handed hitter, right-handed pitchers with uh, Adam Eaton playing more. But the expectation is that <laughs> Adele's going to play every day. Yeah, that, that seems to be the expectation. I, I don't know why Adam Eaton still deserves a bats over <laughs> Justin Upton. I don't get the thinking behind that, but if you had been... Uh, Veteran presence. I mean, Upton had been decent when healthy this year yep. for five outfielder leagues, so that's kind of disappointing. Yep. All right, the rest of the news and notes. Reese Hoskins did return to action today. He was uh, available as a pinch hitter, struck out. Um, not sure he's going to play tomorrow, but at least he's... You know, it doesn't seem like he's going to go on the IL. As you mentioned earlier, Christian Yelich could be cleared to return Thursday. Uh, he'll have testing done before he can return on Wednesday. Brandon Nimmo was a late scratch. He was initially in the lineup for the Mets, was scratched, missed his third straight game with a hamstring. DJ LeMayhew uh, was back in the lineup, and the Yankees had Judge at DH and Stanton in right field. So I believe that is that three or four appearances in the outfield now for Giancarlo Stanton, um, including in an AL park. So, you know, if you're hoping for a little added flexibility for John Carlos Stanton, um, you know, it could be coming. And we did have an email. uh, This is not the email of the day, but it's going to get read first from Henry. Do you think it's worth buying, trying to buy low on Stanton? He's played a couple games in the outfield recently, could pick up outfield eligibility. Henry saying, I lost to Cunha. I've been looking for outfield help. Picked up Grossman, Harrison Bader, uh, and, Andres Jimenez? Who would that be? Jimenez. Uh, Eloy? Eloy, okay, yeah. Stan is slumping and injury prone, but could be helpful down the stretch if he heats up things in advance. What do you think about Stan? Would you be trying to buy low on him right now? I mean, it, it depends on how low. I think he's better than he's shown so far when he's healthy. Usually good things happen. He's healthy right now. I. He would He would start for you, but like... A starting outfield of Eloy Jimenez, uh, Robbie Grossman, and Harrison Bader doesn't sound bad to me either. Uh, Stanton, you know, it, it, it certainly would help to have him. It just it just depends what you're giving up. 
Yeah, you know, one thing we've seen with Stanton is he's still hitting the ball incredibly hard. 100th percentile on average exit velocity, max exit velocity, hard hit rate. Has the highest average exit velocity of his career. Um, he still crutches the ball. Striker rate, still 29%. Not great. Not so bad that you would think it's, you know, a hugely limiting factor. His sprint speed has fallen from 50th percentile, 55th percentile in 2019 to 24th last uh, year to 11th. And, you know, maybe that's the result of him not playing outfield and not having a lot of competitive runs because he's either striking out or hitting a home run. But <laughs> that's a bad sign. If you're looking for a reason why a guy who hits the ball as hard as Stanton does, uh, you know, might struggle, you know, losing a couple of extra uh you know, singles and potentially doubles because the infield can play back. That is one thing that we could be seeing from him as he, you know, reaches his, you know, early 30s. So that's something to keep in mind. But yeah, I do think Stanton would be worth buying in, uh, buying low on um, if you can get him for the right price because he's obviously capable of, you know, an eight home run month at any time. Uh, Rangers designated David Dahl for assignment. That is a frustrating outcome for a guy who, you know, they were certainly hoping he could have a bounce back after uh, dealing with injuries. He's dealt with injuries this season, and I think he might have an OPS under 600 right now. So tough, tough stuff for, uh, for David Dahl. Andrew McCutcheon was placed on the IL with the knee injury that he left Saturday's game with. Jake Fraley returned from the COVID IL, went two for four with, a, with two RBI. Did he also steal a base in this one? I'm trying to remember. Yes. Yep, stole a base. I kind of like Jake Fraley. You know, I don't think he's a star, but like really good plate discipline. He'll he'll swipe a couple bases. I think he's kind of useful in a in a roto league. So someone to keep in mind. Yeah. Evan Longoria Evan Longoria could go on a rehab assignment this week. I always do the Ava Longoria thing with him. I always call him Evan <laughs> Longoria. Evan Longoria. Uh, I have never done that before. Chris Archer Cannot left relate. his Chris Archer left his rehab start after one inning pitch. He's coming back from uh, thoracic outlet syndrome surgery, but he left with a hip injury. Stephen Brault will make a season debut for the Pirates up versus Milwaukee on Wednesday. Chad Cole was placed on the COVID-19 IL for the Pirates. Spencer Howard looks like he's going to make his first start for the Rangers on Thursday. He could be piggybacking with Taylor Hearn. Obviously, given the way that the Phillies used him or you know didn't really use him a lot of the time uh, in Philadelphia this season, you'd prefer to just see him used as a regular starter. You know, the, the Rangers... Yeah. I'd like to see them give him a, a sink or swim opportunity here over the last month and a half, two months of the season. Yeah, I th- think the reason he's having to, or, or at least the tandem possibility is being presented here is because he's just not stretched out to be used like mm-hmm. a full starter yet. Yeah. But I, I, I would say, you know, apart from obvious park factor situations, like if we're just talking purely change of scenery, Take him out of this scene, put him in that yeah. scene, see what happens. Like from the trade deadline, I, I think Spencer Howard is the the best candidate for that because it just seems like the Phillies uh, just were not all in with him ever. And for what it's worth, the Rangers have had decent success. You know, with mm-hmm. you know, it's been more veteran uh, bounce back guys, but. You know, they've had a, a pretty good track record lately with that, so that's worth keeping in mind at least. Alex Bregman was scratched from Monday's lineup at uh, on his rehab assignment after leaving Sunday with a hamstring injury. 
He was initially in the lineup, so I think that's a good sign that this isn't considered a serious injury, but you know, obviously puts his potential return on a little bit of a delay. Wasker Noah threw 51 pitches in his first rehab start. Remember, he is coming back from uh, a fractured hand, uh, and he was pitching really well before the injury. A lot of strikeouts, was kind of doing a... Uh, Kind of doing a Denelson Lamette impression. Throws really hard. Throws a mostly slider and fastballs. So someone to keep in mind if he is available in your leagues, you know, presumably could be back in the, the Braves rotation within a couple of turns. And Gio Urshela will be placed on the aisle with a hamstring injury after missing four games. So he'll uh, he'll be out at least a week and possibly longer hamstring injuries obviously can, uh, you know, be a a lingering issue so we'll see if you know when luke voigt is healthy enough to return maybe he'll be able to get in the lineup at least before uh urshela and you know just play him at third base it'll be fine (laughs) once that would happen if that did happen i mean you could play lemayhew at third probably um if and when that did happen let's say voigt is the kind of player who could get so hot that they can't justify taking him out of the lineup oh yeah so, Definitely. you know, that's that's something to keep in mind. If, if, you know, he plays DH and gets really hot, that could uh, end up working out for the Yankees. Uh, we are going to get to the rest of Monday's news. We're going to get to the email of the day. We're going to get to Scott's Dynasty updates. But first, a quick break. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. And it was a quick break. We're back. Uh, Let's go with the email of the day. Before we get to Monday, before we get to the Dynasty Update stuff, this isn't really about anyone who pitched on Monday, but we did reference you, Darvish, in Monday's podcast, so I thought this was an interesting email worth bringing up. Again, if you want your emails right on the show, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com is the way to do it. Andrew writes in, hey guys, would you mind touching on you, Darvish? He's been a disaster since the sticky substance ban went into effect. Not sure how to look up spin rates, etc., but he's given up two home, run, home runs to opposing pitchers in the f- past few weeks. LOL. <laughs> in five starts in July, uh, this is Andrew still, he has a 6.43 FIP and a 4.37 X FIP prior to July, 2.44 ERA, 3.05 FIP, 3.72 X FIP. Um, that's actually, you know, the XFIP between, this is me talking now, the XFIP difference between June and pre-July and July, only about a half run. So that is kind of surprising given that, you know, Darvish was considered an elite pitcher there. Was his early season success more of a mirage is what Andrew asked. Is he really just a four XFIP guy moving forward? And he's wondering if he should try selling him to someone who believes he's going to bounce back to ace levels. What do you think about you Darvish right now, Scott? I'm not that concerned. I, it would be hard to say it, his success early this year was a mirage because his success goes back to the second half of 2019 where it was basically the best pitcher in baseball for that stretch and obviously dominated in the 12 starts last year as well. I think he's just 
I think he's just kind of lost it and is finding it right now. Uh-huh. His spin rates, for what it's worth, are down uh, quite a bit since the crackdown began. Yes. You know, that's that he's hardly unique in that way. So I'm, I'm not sure how much to attribute the struggles to that. Um, I'm thinking not much, but it's, you know, it's possible it's having more of an effect than I'm giving it credit for. I think, you know, part of the issue is he's a six pitch pitcher at least. Yeah. And when you have that many weapons at your disposal, I mean, it, it can be a great thing when they're working right and when you have a good feel for what you have a good feel for. <laughs> uh, but but I, I, think it, I think it's easier to get lost when you have that many to choose from and you're just trying to find the right combination. Um, and, you know, we've seen it, we've seen it from Yu Darvish at times previously in his career. So, you know. A long track record of success here. I'm, I'm not that worried in the long run, but obviously there is a reason he's struggling. That's my guess for what it is. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I think the uh, the fact that he has so many pitches, you know, if the baseball suddenly changes, and we kind of saw this with that 28-2019 season where you know he got off to a really bad start, the control was really bad for you, Darvish, and we were wondering whether he was kind of done as a fantasy option in the first half. Um, you know, if he's, if he was using sticky substances, the anecdotal evidence with the spin rate suggests that, you know, it's not an unfair thing to wonder, you know, that could make things harder when you got that many pitches. So, you know, it could just be that the, the margin for error is relatively slim. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm mostly with you. I think he's going to be fine. Like his whiff rates are, mostly where they've been they've you know they've kind of fluctuated a little bit but the whiff rate on the cutter is actually up since the start of uh july the whiff rate on his curveball is also up so i I don't think there's too much to be concerned about and the other thing i would point out is in certain ways xfip is kind of a a cruder version of what xera is going to do is, is trying to do which is just trying to define what a pitcher should have earned based on, you know, normalizing their batted ball results. And so XFIP tries to pin everyone to a specific home run to fly ball rate and assuming that that's something that a pitcher can control. And when, you know, there's fluctuations in home run to fly ball rate, that's generally out of a pitcher's control. XERA is a more elegant version of that. It actually takes how hard the ball's been hit, uh, where it traveled, how far it traveled, et cetera, into account. And he still looks pretty much as good as ever by that measure. He has a 314 XERA this season and a 348 ERA. So, you know, I think there's sure you're a little bit concerned about you, Darvish, but it doesn't seem like something to uh, to panic about. So with that being said, let's do a little dynasty update. Scott, let's talk about five players who when was the last time you did a dynasty update? It may have been as long as two months ago. Okay. Other things kept happening. Sure. Putting sure. it off. You're a very busy guy. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure it wasn't, you know. So five on the rise. Who we got? All right. Now, let me just preface this because you're going to say, well, duh, to these names. But, you know, we're, we're thinking from a dynasty perspective. And patience is the expectation in a dynasty league, right? Mm-hmm. You're thinking the long run, you don't want to give up on a talented player too soon. Uh, so just keep that in mind. I, I would say that since the last dynasty update, the players who have improved 
the major league players who've improved their value the most are Matt Olson, Brian Reynolds, Willie Adamas, Patrick Sandoval, who of course we've talked about a lot mm-hmm. recently, and Jonathan India. Those are my five big risers in dynasty leagues. Uh, some interesting facts about these guys. The Matt Olson, you know, I've, I've kind of been expecting all this time the strikeouts to go up to back to what we're used to seeing a 25 to 30% rate. His strikeout rate has actually gone down every single month. It was, it's got, it started at like 17% in April, 16, 15, 14 in July. So like, you know, that trend is not going to continue. Obviously his strikeout rates not going to keep falling every month, but like at this point, I just think, you know, he's, he's not that big strikeout guy anymore. And if that's the case, he suddenly looks a lot like Cody Bellinger did when he was winning MVPs, you know? So forget Dynasty for a second, talking redraft. I think Olsen's going to be in this discussion, you know, barring a collapse here over the final third of the season, of course. I think he's going to be in the discussion for, you know, I'd probably put him in round three, but there will be, I bet there will be some people arguing for him in round two. Yeah, if he's really a 20% or less strikeout guy. It's like 16% for the season. Yeah, so like that's significantly better than 20. That removes, because like the, the biggest thing I've always said about him was just that like, this is a player archetype that while Matt Olson can be a very good version of, it's not that hard to find. You know, there's... Obviously, some of them have busted this season. You know, I argued Pete Alonso would be better than Matt Olson. That hasn't been the case yet, although Pete Olson ha- or Pete Alonso has been very good recently. And actually, I, this has gone under discussed, but he's cut his strikeout rate massively too. He's under twenty yeah. percent this season. Yeah, uh, hasn't had quite the the same breakout as Olson, but that could be a leading indicator that you know what we're seeing so far over the last month is real. The biggest thing for Matt Olson, though, is he is crushing lefties and it's not like he's got some huge Babbitt against them. It's mm-hmm. that he's really, really improved his plate discipline against them. He's got a 20.1% strikeout rate against left-handed pitchers this season. He's got a 1056 OPS. So mm-hmm. has a better ISO by 130 points against lefties than righties. It's been, you know, pretty remarkable. Obviously, we're dealing with small sample sizes. Last season, he struck out 37% against uh, lefties in 2019. Let me get the drop-down box. It was 30, 24% against lefties. It was actually slightly lower than against righties. Um, so I, I still have my doubts about whether he can truly be a very good hitter against lefties, but based on what we're seeing right now, he looks like one, a completely different hitter and two. Yeah. One of the best hitters in baseball. Other things to point out here, Willie Adamas. I mean, we've certainly talked about it before, but it bears repeating. A completely different player since leaving Tampa Bay. And in a way that should have been predicted, I I, I didn't notice it until he got traded. I don't know why, but his career home away splits, just how he's, was always a completely different player out away from Tropicana Field. So, you know, I'll, I'll read you the career numbers right now. Obviously, they include his time with the Brewers, which it pales in comparison to the time spent with the Rays. But career hitter at home, 
so mostly Tropicana Field. 217 batting average, 644 OPS. Career numbers on the road, 304 batting average, 896 OPS. So about 100 points up on the batting average, about 250 points up on the OPS. And we've since learned that he had trouble with the batter's eye at Tropicana Field. It wasn't just a fluky thing. And to put an even finer point on it, here's what he hit at Tropicana Field. 217, 275, 341 was his triple slash line. So 616 OPS, 194 strikeouts in 622 plate appearances. That's about 28%. Uh, 16 home runs in about a full season. Yeah, he was bad at Tropicana Field in a way that he basically wasn't everywhere else. He was awesome everywhere else. He was like an early round shortstop. And I don't know why I didn't notice that before, but... Now every game's a road game for him. Now that road version is uh, is playing everywhere. And, of course, Milwaukee is a great place to hit. You know what's so kind of funny, though? Spectrum there. He hasn't been that good at Milwaukee. He has a yeah. 789 OPS at Milwaukee. <laughs> hopefully hopefully it's batter's eyes okay. Only a 254 BABIP, though. I think that probably explains it because he's still got... Uh, it's like a 25% strikeout rate, which is not as good as his overall strikeout rate since the trade, but much better than it was in Tampa. So I do think we're clearly seeing a much better Willie Adamas, and I think that uh explanation makes perfect sense. And, like, Adamas was a big prospect. He was somebody who you were excited to have in Dynasty Leagues leading up to his promotion, but he had been up for so long and underperformed for so long that, you know, we kind of written him off as a dynasty asset. He's still only 25. He's got his whole career ahead of him still. So, yeah, stock way up for that guy in dynasty in particular. Uh, I want to talk about Patrick Sandoval a little more. Uh, As was mentioned on yesterday's show, his swinging strike rate would now rank first among all qualifiers. Worth noting, Jacob deGrom himself is not a qualifier. He would actually rank first among qualifiers if he was. But the Still, point is, if elite, if, elite. If the only person better than you would be Jacob deGrom if he qualified, yeah. I think you're, you're doing fine. And specifically, the changeup and slider both look like elite pitches for Sandoval. Like the kind of whiff rate he gets on the, each of those two pitches, like it's rare for even the best pitchers to have a whiff rate that good on one pitch, much less two. Um, the ceiling is so high for this guy. It's really just about beating the walks at this point. But mm-hmm. even with the walk rate he has, you're looking at right at a, a three ERA since he moved into the rotation, uh, obviously with a ton of strikeouts. So, I mean, Sandoval, who you know wasn't that highly regarded as a prospect, he had pretty good minor league numbers, a lot of strikeouts in the minors. But it's not like he was some, you know, it's not like he was some amazing dynasty asset before getting called up. But now he looks like there's you know, no such he, thing as a pitching prospect, Scott. There you go. If you got you know, an arm and you can throw a baseball, you could turn into a very good fantasy pitcher, as Patrick Sandoval has. I Jonathan, do, Jonathan India. I just wonder how valuable the the skill set's ever going to be for fantasy. Especially in, in a categories league, I guess, because he, I don't know if he's ever going to be a high batting average guy. I don't know if he's ever going to be, uh, you know, a big power or big speed guy. That's my concern there. You know, the things that he does well are one, he's got about an average strikeout rate, which is pretty good. And he gets on base a ton. He's got a 401 OBP, 13% walk rate, and 
you know, mm-hmm. I love this 17 hit by pitches, most in the national league, uh, second mm-hmm. most in baseball after Ty France, yeah. actually, which I didn't get a chance to mention that earlier, but Ty France also loves to get hit by baseball. So very good skill set. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I'm less convinced if, if this is just a pure ceiling argument, I'm less convinced of the ceiling for India than I am. These other four, sure. Brian Reynolds, the one we kind of skipped over. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously it's about how much has the stock improved yeah. in Dynasty League. And Jonathan India went from being, I don't know, maybe he could An develop into I mean, something yeah. to now he's like instrumental part of the Reds. His on-base percentage since the start of June is 442. And <laughs> on-base skills were the main thing he showed in the minors too. You're getting on base that much. There's going to be a place for you. Uh, he's also hit 308 since June, the start of June. High BABIP, so you know I'm I'm not sure how much I buy into that either. But but since the start of June, so 53 games we're talking about here, seven home runs, 14 doubles, five steals. You know you, you roughly you triple that to get full season numbers. Yeah. That that comes out to 21 homers, 42 doubles, 15 steals. Uh, I think there's definitely something there. And and when a player is first breaking in, like the, the thing I the thing I'm least concerned about him underwhelming in is home runs. Yeah. Because I think even with the environment changes, that's just a really easy skill to cultivate in today's game. Kind of every Yeah. Every system is set up so that you know, we, as long we as want, as long as you're not Nick Madrigal, you're or yeah. Miles Straw, you're yeah. probably going to hit for some pop. If you're showing any kind of power, they can yeah. build on that, and and so I think I I, I don't put that past India to improve, and um, you know I don't know that he's going to be a superstar, but I think he's going to be definitely an asset. And let's talk about five who are losing value, and I'm going to go ahead and guess these are five players we've talked about quite a bit. At least the first three names uh, certainly are. Yeah. So. You know, it, it's really a matter of what, where are we in dynasty now with these guys? Cody Bellinger, Glaber Torres, Chris Paddock. And for all three of them, I've been holding out hopes basically all year. Yeah. And it's just to a point now where it kind of, we're, we're kind of past that. We're kind of past that. I, you know, Glaber Torres, the interesting parallel for him would be Jose Ramirez because. You know, he came up, looked great his first two years. As he's fallen off here the last two years, the underlying numbers don't really present an obvious case for what's wrong with Glaber Torres. He's just totally punchless, though. And remember, Jose Ramirez had like a full calendar year like that and then suddenly came surging back. So, you know, I guess that could happen with Glaber Torres, but it was just such an unusual situation for Ramirez that it seems unlikely lightning's going to strike twice. Yeah. Chris Paddock had like a really great eight-start stretch in the middle of the season where it looked like the spin was back up on his fastball, maybe enough that uh, that he was going to be able to return to his rookie form. But it's just been disastrous over the past couple months. And it's just, I mean, I feel bad that you didn't capitalize him on a rookie season if you had it. You, you thought you had this amazing dynasty asset. And now it just, he seems almost valueless. Cody Bellinger, of course, still has value. He's the one that I I feel most confident in getting back to some level just because I think he has the best explanation for why he struggled. 
Yeah, I mean, coming off shoulder you could point surgery, to all, you could point to all the injuries, the yeah. shoulder surgery. You could point to the self-inflicted mechanical changes that have gone on during this time. Yeah. Like, you could see how he could come back, but clearly nobody's paying for Cody Bellinger what they would have three, four months ago. You know, yeah. it's there's a case to buy low on him, but it 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 doesn't feel it doesn't feel like you're for sure going to uh, to get the return you're hoping for on that investment. Yeah, and you know, one thing I'll point out with uh, Glaber Torres, if you're looking for an explanation for why uh, he might be struggling, I think one that could work is um, in 2019, he hit 28% of his fly balls to the pull side. He hit 41% of his line drives to the pull side. Um, so far this season, let me make sure I have the numbers right. He is hitting 14% of his fly balls to the pull side, 32% of his line drives. So, so wait, 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 wait. Are you trying to say that what seems like was the problem for Jose Ramirez, he was adjusting his swing to try and beat the shift, hit more balls the other way. Could that be exactly what's going on for Clayper Torres? This is an analogy Maybe. even closer. It <laughs> might be, but uh, the thing with Ramirez was I'm not sure he actually started pulling the ball less often. I can't remember what if that was the case. Um, but if I remember correctly, it was mostly just that he was hitting a lot of weak fly balls to the pull side. Yeah, I guess he, he did pull the ball slightly less, but it was like 29... 2018, it was 50%. 2019, it was 49. 2020, it was 52. So I don't know if that's quite the explanation. But I think basically, if you're looking for a why uh, Glaber Torres isn't hitting for power, it's because he's not hitting the ball in the air with authority to the pull side. He's not someone who has huge raw power. But what he was doing in 2018, and especially 2019, was maximizing the power he had by hitting fly balls in the air to the pull side, which is how you can, you know, it's what Alex Bregman does really well. And that's why he hits for more power than his, you know, kind of raw suggests he should. Um, whether he can fix that, you know, we, we've seen no signs of it yet, but hopefully he can. He's still very young, and that's why you, you hate to give up on that kind of talent in the yep. Dynasty League. But, uh, you know, we've, we've given these guys a lot of leash already. Yeah. Uh, uh, the other, Kevin the other two names on this, yeah, Kevin Biggio and Alec Bohm, um are the last two here. And, you know, I, I think Biggio. Man, that's may, what exactly how we thought it was going to. Right. And he may be playing himself out of a job yeah. at this point. Um, he's not, he, he, adding insult to injury, he stolen three bases this year for as much as he played. So, And I think he only stole like six last year, so that isn't even really part of the package yeah. from Biggio. I mean, still getting on base at a 317 clip because he walks so much, but yeah, I just... I'm not... My expectations for Biggio rest of his career are very low. Very low, and so I think he virtually he has virtually no dynasty value at this point. When again, you know, his first couple years up, you're like, yes, my second base situation is solved forevermore. Yeah. And then uh, boom, he just—it's actually funny. He's hit the ball with authority. He's got mm-hmm. a 92 mile per hour average exit velocity, 91st percentile, 88th percentile on hard hit rate. 
he just isn't hitting the ball in the air. Which, yep, not, you know, and he's striking out a lot. Yeah. Again, a year we all thought he'd take a step forward, yep. and instead he's mostly taken a step back. It's, it's correctable, obviously, but it's apparent now he's going to be more of a project than we thought he was going to be, yeah. and it may be difficult to wait him out in the Dynasty League. All right. As we uh, close out the show here, we got about 15 minutes left. Let's talk about some of the rest of Monday's uh, action. And uh, one place I think we want to start there is the five pitchers who either pitched in a new place after the trade deadline or pitched in a new role in the case of Ranger Suarez. So we'll start with Jesus Lazardo, who I I don't know if he's the highest pit upside pitcher uh, among this group. It's either him or Josiah Gray. But Jesus Lazardo made his Marlins debut against the Mets. Five innings, four hits, three earned runs, three walks, five strikeouts, 84 pitches, 17 whiffs, including five each on his sinker, curveball, and changeup. Average 96 miles per hour with the fastball. That was up a little bit from where he was earlier on in the season. Did not have command of his curveball. And especially in that, you know, gave up two runs in the second inning. That was an, that was an issue for him there. Um, I don't know. I, I think his curveball is just not good right now. And I think that's the biggest issue with him. I think um, he may benefit from throwing a four-seamer instead of a sinker. I don't know. But... I think the biggest issue right now is he just doesn't have a feel for the curveball. And, you know, you can only go so far with two pitches, especially when the changeup isn't, you know, a Luis Castillo level changeup. But what do you think of Jesus Lazardo? Yeah, I, I'm very much buying in a dynasty league. You'll notice I sure, didn't yeah. put him in the fallers. I'm not, I'm not to that point with him. I think he still needs to be treated like a prospect, basically. Mm-hmm. His last two starts at AAA were pretty good. I was encouraged to see him get 17 swinging strikes. Now his arsenal, all three pitches were said to be well developed. So I don't know if he just lost a feel for that curveball or that what. was. The, there was some talk of he. I, I remember he, there was talk of I think he called it like a turkey sub or something. He had this like slow curveball that he was trying to reintroduce. So it. It did seem like from reading a couple of reports back in spring training, he didn't really feel like he had the, the feel for the tr- curveball last season. Mm-hmm. Marlins are the best organization at developing <laughs> pitching, probably, I would right say, now, right yeah. now. So um, he's in good hands. And uh, I'm, I'm a little surprised they called him up so soon. I'm not counting on any, him doing anything this year, but I still like him long term. It was nice to see the... Uh, the Fort Lauderdale kids, Jesus Lazardo and Luis Brinson, Lewis Brinson, give the uh, Marlins a win today. You know, I like seeing that. Uh, let's talk about Josiah Gray, who made his Nationals debut on Monday. Five innings, four hits, one earned run, two walks, two strikeouts, 71 pitches. Surprising thing, only five swinging strikes from Josiah Gray. He had been, just, just as you were talking him up yesterday, as the next Jacob uh-huh. DeGrom. <laughs> just like that, his swinging strike rate is no longer comparable to Jacob DeGrom's. Yeah, it's funny. Funny how that works when you get more than eight innings <laughs> under your belt. But no, I mean, uh, I don't know what to take away from this start specifically. Obviously, the results were better than the first two, the, the two he made for the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the underlying number's not as impressive. It's just... It's hard to know what to make of that yet. I, I think overall, I still feel really good about his upside. Uh, the fastball is a good, is a high whiff, high spin fastball. Yep. 
and he has both a slider and a curveball that are capable of getting whiffs, and at least from what he's shown so far. Yeah, I mean, the whiffs haven't really been there on the changeup, but he does have that pitch. Right, right. That's what I mean. He has a changeup. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, who would you rather have rest of season, Gray or Lazardo? Gray. Okay. Uh, if you thought moving to Yankee Stadium would fix Andrew Heaney's home run problems, uh, bad news, guys, because he gave up four home runs, only four solo home runs in four innings against Baltimore. Uh, four solo home runs led to four earned runs, six hits, no strikeout, no walks, four strikeouts. Andrew Heaney continues to have great walk to strikeout ratio numbers and just great strikeout numbers overall, but he's got a 32.1% ground ball rate, a 17.4% home run to fly ball rate, and it's pretty hard to see how that gets better playing in Yankee <laughs> Stadium. Um, He's a weird pitcher because he throws a high spin sinker that he throws up in the zone a lot to get whiffs. Um, obviously, the downside to that is he gives up a lot of home runs. And I'm not sure, you know, the Yankees are pretty good at developing pitchers and, and figuring out how to get the most out of them. But gosh, I don't know if he's more than he, he's probably more than one tweak away. What do you think? Oh, Heaney, I'm I'm kind of thinking he is what he is right now. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm willing to be surprised, but I could see like a Dylan Bundy situation where he just figures it out and well, goes on a really good run, but but Bill and, Bill, Bill and, Bill and Dylan Bundy. Bundy went from the AL East to the AL West, which is the best opposite change route. you can make venue-wise. And Heaney's done just the opposite here and we see how, you know, four home runs in his first start at Yankee Stadium. That They were not that, Yankee Stadium home runs, by the way. All of them traveled at least 383 feet and he gave up a 408-foot double in this one. So, um, yeah. So it could have been five home runs. Very easily could have been five. Let's oh. move on to uh, what did you see from Ranger Suarez in this one? He made his first start for the Phillies, only threw 33 pitches in three innings, only one strikeout, but his velocity was up 1.5 mile per hour, up to 95.1, which is, you know, I guess if he knew he was only going to throw three innings or 34 pitches, then... You know, he probably didn't have to hold back, but it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure how when he throws more than 33 pitches, how that velocity is going to play. I imagine he'll lose some from his time in relief. But I like Ranger Suarez. His ground ball rate this year is... um, Let me see if I can find it here. His ground ball rate this year is 63.5. Yeah. I believe Fromber Valdez led the majors last year with like a 61% rate. That sounds right. That was obviously in a short season. And that 61% was a distant first. Yep. Dist, like, you know, 55 is a really high ground ball rate. And, and Ranger Suarez has that beat by 8% pitch yeah. points. All you sticklers out there. See, I got it right. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to be a big bat misser, but that, that makes up for it. that's how you that's how you get around that and I I think Suarez could be a good starter we'll see but yeah. I like him it's worth keeping an eye on as he gets stretched out and what about Chris Rodriguez he moved he made his uh, first major league start for the Angels he had been uh, pitching out of the bullpen earlier in the season he went six innings gave up four four runs three earned two walks seven strikeouts nine whiffs on. 86 pitches, fastball velocity was down 1.7 miles per hour. 
uh, from when he was pitching in the bullpen. But what do you think of uh, Chris Rodriguez? Is he someone in, you know, certainly AL only. He's in a rotation, yeah. so he deserves to be added. But what about a 15-team league? I, I'd, be, I'd be wary of adding him. I just, I'm not sure... I've seen enough in terms of skill level to, to make me think the upside justifies the downside of, mm-hmm. of anybody breaking into that role. So I'd, I'd steer clear of him for now. Keep an eye on him. There's 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 some pedigree there for Chris Rodriguez. Yeah, but. number four pitcher prospect for the Angels uh, coming into the season. So. Yeah, not, not really on my radar yet. All right. Uh, let's talk about... I don't know, were there any other starting pitchers today that you thought were... Uh, Notable. We got a good Chris Flexen start. He seems to, you know, have turned yeah. things around. We got a good Jorge Lopez start, but not really. Five walks, four strikeouts. Um, <laughs> uh, Elijah Morgan of the yeah. of, of, for Cleveland was interesting. Nine, nine strikeouts. strikeouts, nine strikeouts in six innings with two earned runs allowed. Thirteen swinging strikes, pretty evenly distributed between the fastball, slider, and changeup. He entered this start with just a ten point six percent swinging strike rate, so it's not like. It's it, it's not like he had been doing that well missing bats, um, so you know I don't make much of it. It it did come against the Blue Jays, right? So good offense. Yeah. Uh, so that was it. It was an impressive start from Elijah Morgan. Doesn't put on your really put on your radar. On yeah, put on your radar. Uh, I I'd be remiss not to point out Michael Waka was awful after I hyped him as a two start sleeper. There you go. Um, you know that's. They're, they're, they're not called sleepers for nothing. Uh, they're going to miss a lot. So, you know, he was going against the Mariners. It could have easily been a no-hitter. It wasn't. It was an eight-hitter in four innings. And Michael Waka is probably not a thing. Yeah, two games. or one game currently in progress. Anthony Discofani and Taylor Widener had both been pitching well through the fourth in at their first through the first four innings, and then things fell apart. Desclafani ended up with four and runs on seven hits and four and a third with five strikeouts and a walk. Um, I still think he's pretty good. I still think, uh, you know, disappointing that he didn't have a good start against the Diamondbacks. You would usually expect that to happen, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, Robbie Ray did walk three batters in consecutive starts for the first time since his first two starts of the season, which, Wow. Robbie Ray, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, I don't think there's anything to be concerned about there, but you know, it's worth noting. Uh, Tyler McGill struggled against the Marlins, but really it was one bad inning. He gave up a grand slam to Lewis Brinson, I believe in the second or maybe the first inning. So you know, things went kind of sideways for him early, but he got back on track. Still think he's an interesting uh, you know, low-end option. And then some bullpen notes before we take off. Uh, Gabe Klobositz and Wander Suero combined to give up five runs in the ninth inning in a loss to the Phillies on Monday. Um, what team do they play for? <laughs> <laughs> the Washington Nationals. Uh, ah, okay. So Kyle Finnegan, I believe, had pitched three days in a row before that. So that's yeah, why he wasn't I, available. And those guys yeah. were trying to get the close out the win. Emmanuel Classe did get the save in the 10th inning for Cleveland today. Karen Check pitched in the seventh versus the bottom of the order. Uh, kind of seems like a get right situation there. I, do you think Karen checks droppable? Not. I'd, I'd hesitate to do that in a categories league. All right. Ian Kennedy gave up a two run home run with a five run lead 
in this one that's two straight games, giving up a two home two run home run since joining the Phillies. He did get the save. I don't understand one. that that the box score says that, but I don't understand how that worked out. Because he entered with yeah. a five run lead, I believe. Five run lead? No, it was a was it a five run lead? It looked well, they won by two, and he gave up two runs, so it must have been a... Four-run lead. Okay. Still four-run lead. Uh, did he come in in the middle of the inning with a tying runner on deck? Let's I don't see here. think so. All right. Well, I guess we have reason to doubt he actually got a save then. <laughs> yeah, that was... Uh, no. He started the inning, so... Okay. Yeah, I'm not so sure why... No save for Kennedy. Probably just a, yeah. a glitch there. Yeah, he's being given credit for a save, but I don't think he actually got that save. Um, and Spencer Patton... Pitched a perfect inning uh, with one strikeout to get the save for Pittsburgh. No. Why did I think Pittsburgh? For the Rangers. For the Rangers. Thank you. And he bounced back from a rough out. Did you mention Dylan Floro's four out And Dylan Floro did get a four-out four save. Anthony Bender worked the seventh. I thought there was a chance Bender might be the closer, but given that usage, I think it's Dylan Floro. Yep. Uh, let's close out. We got a couple minutes left, so let's close out with some... Uh, Emails. First one, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com if you want to send your emails into the show. First one is from Chris. Not this Chris, although it could have been. Perhaps there might be an obituary episode for all the top pitchers who failed to be worth anything close to their draft position this year between injuries to DeGrom, Bieber, Glasnow, Ian Anderson, Zach Allen, uh, and poor performances like Luis Castillo and, and other things that have gone wrong. Seems this has been one of the worst years for starting stud starting pitchers. I... I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think the uh, the actual results, if you actually... I started going through and looked at it, and like four of the top 12 starting pitchers, I think you could probably qualify as bus, but that would be including Jacob deGrom, and I don't think you can actually include him. Nola mm. has been not as good as we hoped. Luis Castillo obviously was really bad to start the season, but, you know, on the whole, like... Kenta Maeda was a bust. Blake Snell, Tyler Glass now. The, the early part of the SP2 range, and actually really just SP2s in general, were kind of bad year for, for number two starting pitchers, actually, in the draft. Uh, Brandon Woodruff, awesome. Blake Snell, not. Maeda, Glass now, unfortunately, with the injury to Glass now. Steven Strasburg. Well, a, lot of, a lot of the misses were ones that you could reasonably detect concerns for coming in. Sure. Max Freed, Zach Plesak, uh so, yeah, not, not a great look for the number two pitchers. But overall, I mean, I don't know. My experience has been that my pitching has been really good this season and I didn't invest much in it. So I that may color my perception. But I, I still think it's been a, a relatively normal year for starting pitchers. It's not yeah. like hitters have been uh, as reliable as usual because, again, I didn't invest much in, in, in starting pitcher and, if my Roto teams have a strength, it's typically this season been starting pitcher. Um, I've got one 12-team Roto League where I have 17 standing points at hitter. And six of them have come from stolen base. <laughs> and I invested more in starting in hitting than pitching in that league. So there have definitely been quite a few uh, high-profile busts and injuries, certainly. Uh, There's just been the a ton of too. injuries in general this yeah. year. It's been a bad year for injuries. Probably the worst I can remember. I think you can probably put that uh, at least somewhat at the feet of, you know, playing coming off a shortened season, you know. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe there will be time for a uh, postmortem on starting pitching and this season in general after the season, usually when postmortems happen. 
after the mortem. <laughs> uh, Cooper writes in. He's in a two-keeper head-to-head points league, and he's lucky enough to have Fernando Tatis, Ronald Acuna, and Shohei Otani after keeping uh, both of Tatis and Acuna last year and drafting Otani this season. Coming into the season, he assumed that the two keepers would be Tatis and Acuna for the foreseeable future. Yeah, they're the two best players in fantasy baseball when they're healthy. Um, do you consider an alternative, especially with Otani potentially getting to outfield eligibility? He would need 10 appearances to get there for next season. He's at six right now with five weeks to go in the season. He's wondering as he's trailing first place by two games, should he trade Ronald Acuna? He's been offered Jose Altuve, Bryce Harper and Herman Marquez for uh, Ronald Acuna and Chris Taylor. Is it worth taking this win now move and sacrificing Acuna since he still has Otani? Or is it worth it just hanging on to Acuna and Tatis and hoping the injuries don't limit them next season? Hmm. It's, How big of an upgrade is Altuve over Taylor, really? I mean, rest I mean, of season, I think it's probably a pretty big upgrade. I Probably so far this season, it might not be an upgrade at all. I mean, I, I do have Altuve as my best second baseman rest of the season. Trey Turner not qualifying there yet. Yep. But... But Mookie Betts may uh, soon. I mean, look, Tatis Acuna, Otani, I suspect they'll all be among the top six picks next year, assuming assuming Acuna seems on track to return for opening day, and, and for that matter, maybe Tatis as well. Yeah, I mean, that's um, the thing, is you're going to have Acuna coming off knee surgery and probably Tatis coming off shoulder surgery, even if he doesn't have it during the season. It seems almost certain he'll have it afterwards. But presuming the reports are good, I, it's hard to believe they wouldn't be top five picks. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, I guess... Um, uh, I, I don't. A part of me still wonders if if Otani is going to be so bankable year after year. I and when you have Acuna and Tatis yeah. in a league where you keep two players, just don't even think about it. But mm, I don't know. I'm torn on this one. What do you think? Um. Flags fly forever. Jose Altuve, Bryce Harper, and Armand Marquez. I mean, even with Chris Taylor, maybe you think he's a a relatively, you know, wash with Jose Altuve. Bryce Harper and Armand Marquez is still a pretty significant uh, addition to your team. And if you don't think, you know, Otani, if you think Otani and Acuna are both top six picks next season or top 10, top 12 picks, it seems kind of like a no-brainer for me. All right. Um and we'll close out with one last one. How has Abraham Toro Hernandez's recent hot streak and trade to uh, Seattle affected his rank standing in the third base rankings for you? Yeah, he has been hot. Uh, he homered the final two games with the Astros and the, the first two games with the Mariners. He's playing every day. He's even got, I think, like four steals this year in the little bit of time he's played. Yep. And, of course, the last two years in the minors hit well over 300. He doesn't hit the ball very hard. But he doesn't strike out much either. He is someone that there, you know, when he got traded to Seattle, there were a lot of reports that like the smart people in baseball front offices love Abraham Toro. I don't know how much that matters, but you know, I I think best case scenario, the Mariners cloned Ty France, at least what Ty France looks to be right now. Sure, that's the best case scenario for. 
for Toro. I, I think he goes by Toro normally. Abraham I don't know Toro, why yeah. in our system he's Toro Hernandez. Um, but uh, he, I'm, I, I don't think he's 12-team material yet. I think he's kind of low-end and a low-end flyer in 15-team leagues. I'm, I'm very skeptical, I would say. I'm very skeptical, but... Top 24 third baseman? Uh, yeah, maybe, probably about in that range, yeah. All right. All right. Thanks for emailing in. Again, fantasybaseball.cbsi.com. If you made it uh, an hour and five minutes into the podcast, you probably already know the email address by now. Uh, thanks for everyone to tune in on YouTube. Thanks to everyone who listens. Uh, go ahead and leave us a five-star review if you, you like the show on Apple Podcasts, and we'll read your questions if you leave a review. Uh, other than that, we'll back here tomorrow. Closing out podcasts is hard. Nobody tells you that. You always make Just fun of bye Frank. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on Homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework.